0: Amen. I give you my heart I give you my soul I live for you alone Lord have your way in me those are the words we just sang as a prayer to him asking him to do that did you mean it? I think you did and as we open his word today, that's, that's really part of what we want every time we come to this word. You know, that we want him to, to open our hearts, that we want to give him our hearts, that we want him to do his work in us. And it's interesting because the passage that we're going to look at this morning is one in which Jesus is using really pretty harsh language because he's trying to break through something to get to our hearts, to get to what's in us. You know, because we just saying, Lord, I give you my heart, and we kind of have to ask ourselves this question, like, if I was giving from the heart, what would I give? If I say, Lord, I give you my heart, what, what is it that I'm giving to him? But not only that, if, if I was giving from the heart, what would you get from me? What would I get from you? You know, what is it that so fills me that it ends up being what I have to give back? And that's kind of what Jesus wants to get to. It reminds me a little bit of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. I give to you what I have also received. Right? That we have to take that in to be able to give that back. And Jesus is actually going to contrast two different groups of people here in this passage. And it will seem almost like he keeps changing subjects. But essentially what happens is he's going to show us the Ninevites... A people who outwardly had everything wrong, and Pharisees, a people who outwardly had everything right. And right in between that, he's going to talk about the light that we need to take in that helps us figure out what's really going on in our hearts. And so, if you remember last week, we saw an incredible passage about spiritual warfare, and Jesus casts an unclean spirit out of a person. And there's a woman in the crowd who's so amazed that she celebrates him. And then now it says in chapter 11, verse 29, that the crowds were thickly gathered together. All right, so what this means is elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, can't even flap your wings. People are crushed around Jesus to hear what this man who casts out demons will say next. What a perfect opportunity, Jesus. The crowd is huge. They're listening. Tell them something like a John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. This is your chance. Well, look at what he says in verse 29. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. And every PR guy in the crowd is thinking, no, no, Jesus. (laughs) Like you're taking this the completely wrong direction. You had a chance and you're going to turn them all away. But there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this because he knows there's something in their hearts that is blocking what he wants them to hear from his heart, right? That that there's something in them that if that's what they were giving, that's not worth giving, and he needs to cut through that. And so he says this, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now, there's nothing wrong with a sign, In fact, Jesus has been doing signs all the way through his ministry. You can think of a moment where he heals the paralytic. But first he said, I forgive your sins. And people told him, you can't do that. Only God can do that. That's too hard. He says, well, let me show you something else that is too hard. And he heals the man's paralysis and he walks home. He performs a sign to back up the fact that he has actually God himself. Same thing as as casting out this demon. And they say, well, you can't do that. That must be the enemy. He says, no, this is a power that only God has, and I wield it before you. He's demonstrating that that's who he is. So so why is this almost like a bad thing that they want to see a sign? Well, the difference is in the heart, right? It's it's not the sign. It's not even really the request. It's what's in their heart. The idea that it's not because we believe you and we want to see you work in miraculous ways. It's more like we don't believe you. So prove it. And that there's a heart condition that they have set up a wall against what Jesus is trying to teach them. So he says it seeks a sign and no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. So what is the sign of Jonah? Well, if you flip into the Old Testament, there's a book that is just four short chapters long about the prophet Jonah. And most of us know his story, right? Like when I ask my kids to summarize it, the story is, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah disobeyed. Jonah got eaten by a fish. Jonah decided to obey, and the fish spat him out. Therefore, moral of the story, do what God asks you to do, and do it the first time, (laughs) right? Which, absolutely important moral of the story, great lesson, write that down, live that in your life, but that's only the first half of the book. And in fact, when Jonah actually shows up in Nineveh, he never performs a miracle. He does not do any signs. The only thing he does is speak the message that God has given him. So what is the sign of Jonah? Well, as commentators unpack this, you see how Jesus even summarizes it in this phrase. In verse 30, Jonah became a sign. It wasn't that he did a sign. Jonah himself was a sign. And so the idea here might be that as he spent three days in that fish, in the juices of that fish's belly, that he comes out probably bleached white, looking like a man who's been dead for three days, before bringing a message of God to the people. And as we fast forward in Jesus' life, every page we turn in Luke is bringing us closer to the time when he would be not in a fish, but in a grave. And he was actually dead for three days before rising again to confirm the message that he was bringing to people from God. so there's a relationship here that this is why he can say so also the son of man will be to this generation you will see one who has been dead for three days bringing the message of god but as we go into the story of jonah as you get past chapter two and into chapter three and four what happens in chapter three really becomes critical for what jesus is going to say next because nineveh was a massive city and jonah did not want to go there because nineveh this is kind of a recreation of what it might have looked like, was the capital of Assyria. These were the enemies of God's people. These were Jonah's personal enemies. People that he would see on the news and say, I can't believe they did that. People that he would see on the news and say, I mean, I have problems and like I was swallowed by a fish, but at least I haven't done that. People that he would see and say they are unforgivable. In fact, that's one of the things that really comes out of the back half of Jonah is that the reason he ran away was because he knew. He even says this to God. I knew you were a forgiving God. I knew that if I told them your message, you would forgive them. And he did not believe that they deserved a chance at forgiveness. Got anybody in the back of your mind that you kind of feel that way about? Yeah, maybe it's somebody that's done something to you. Maybe you feel like it's you sometimes. Or maybe it's a little more distant. You know, it's the thing you see on the news that, I can't believe they did that thing. I can't believe that thing happened. I can't believe that happened here. And what if God said, I'm willing to forgive them? No, God, not, not them, not for that. That's who Nineveh was. But when Jonah brings this message in, in chapter 3, I won't read it, but you can, you can look this up later. When he brings this message... It's not even a message that says, repent or. The message he brings is just 40 days and then Nineveh will be destroyed. But the people of Nineveh, from the people in the streets hearing his message all the way up to the king, it says, when they heard it, they believed God. That's a heart shift. They believed God and turned from their evil ways the king of Nineveh actually sends out a decree to everybody no eating no sleeping everyone's going to cry out to God we're all going to turn from our evil ways and who knows if he might not relent and it says God saw that heart change and relented from the disaster that he was going to bring upon them I don't know about you but I am so thankful for that story Because that's one of those things that, like, if I was writing the Bible, I would want to put that in there because I would wish that kind of thing was possible. But I'm not writing the Bible. God did, and he put that in there. Because that kind of thing is possible. That what seems like it is completely unforgivable on the outside is forgivable because God wants to work on what is inside. And so then Jesus comes back to this crowd, who he's just called an evil generation, says, watch for the sign of Jonah to the Ninevites, And then verse 31, he's going to compare two things from that history. One is the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So somebody didn't tell Jesus we are not supposed to talk about judgment and we're not supposed to talk about condemnation, (laughs) right? Except those are exactly the words that Nineveh heard that made Nineveh listen up. And Jesus doesn't talk this way all the time to everybody, but he's trying to crack through something that is covering their hearts, that is keeping them from listening. And so the picture he gives us here, the queen of the south was not known for righteousness. But every time I read this, that she came from the ends of the earth, I think of, like, the way John Hammond talks in Jurassic Park. Spared no expense. Like, that's the picture that is in our minds here, that whatever it took, she wanted the truth more than anything. She didn't have it, but if Solomon does, everybody's telling me he's the wisest man in the world, then I will do whatever it takes to get there and hear what he has to say. And Jesus says, I'm a greater king than Solomon. I am wiser than Solomon. She came to the ends of the earth. I'm standing right in front of you. And one greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was a reluctant prophet who did not even want to bring God's message to these people because he didn't want them to be forgiven, but one greater than Jonah is here. God himself came to you, not reluctantly, but because he loves you so much that he wants you to hear that forgiveness is actually possible. Jesus is telling this generation, and I think he is telling us, that you have an even greater light than they had. They heard the message of God through a prophet who hated them, and they responded. These people had Jesus standing right in front of them. The light was literally eye to eye in the flesh, and they were rejecting him. And we have seen not only Jesus' life, but we've seen his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and we know that he is coming back. What will we do with that? Nineveh repented. That word really just means turned around. Not just I believe you, God, but I'm going to do what I want to do, but I believe you, God, and I want to change because of that. Because I need you to change my heart. And so what happens is a repentant heart becomes a good sign. A repentant heart is a good sign. That's why he talks about that day of judgment when Nineveh will be held up and this generation will be held up. You know, and we can even think about our own hearts and, and what will that comparison be? That Nineveh recognized wickedness in themselves and said, we need a forgiver. Maybe God will forgive us. while well, this generation ignored the wickedness in themselves and rejected the forgiver. And so their own rejection becomes their condemnation. So here's a question you can ask yourself that maybe you have never asked yourself before. Is there a Nineveh in you? At first that sounds like, I don't want to be like Nineveh. I know how wicked they were. Only here's the thing we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Can I actually look into my own heart and say, you know what, there is a Nineveh in me, but I want it to be the Nineveh who recognizes I need a forgiver and receives that from him. That for all the wickedness that Nineveh had committed by the time that Jesus is on the scene, Jesus says, let me tell you about Nineveh. Let me tell you how dark this can look and how great it can end up. Let me tell you about Drew. Let me tell you about how how dark it can be, and yet how he can bring the light. And so what Jesus says next, it seems like it's almost like a non-sequitur. He's completely changing topics, and where did he go with this? But you'll notice in, in the passage, there is nothing between verse 32 and verse 33. There's no like, and sometime later, Jesus taught him this other thing. Now he jumps right into this picture of light, and I think that's why. Because he has just demonstrated to them the heart change that happened in Nineveh because they received the light of that message from God. And now he wants to shine that light on us. So verse 33 says this, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Right, so the metaphor here is that the eye is where things come in. Right, this is where I'm kind of taking it all in. And so he's going to tell us that what comes in affects everything. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light so that starts to get a little bit sing-songy, but essentially what he's saying is, light spreads light, darkness spreads darkness. And be careful that what you think is light isn't actually darkness. So the picture is, if you have a light, what is this for? Well, it's to, to light things up, right? My kids don't seem to understand this. My kids literally, they will turn this thing on and set it on the counter, and I come back like four hours later, oh, there's the flashlight, and it has like the dimmest little bit of light left. Honestly, who turns it on and then just sets it down? That's not what it's for. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not even like a difficult metaphor. What does Jesus mean here? He's saying as goofy as it would be to turn a light on and then cover it up, completely defeating the purpose, that's what this is like. If we let the darkness into our eye, then we're ignoring the light that actually comes to shine into the darkness. Because what I use this for is then I can go in the basement and say, what is that? Oh, it's just a chair. What is that? Oh, it's a stack of boxes. What is that? There's a monster! I knew there was one down here, right? But here's the thing. There are points of darkness that come in. And Jesus is saying what we need is the light to shine into those corners of darkness. And this can be difficult. This can be painful because those are the things that we say, I don't want to admit that to myself, let alone to other people. Is it really as dark as it looks? Well, maybe if I just kind of push the darkness over here and the rest of me can be light. He's saying it's not going to work that way. What ends up happening is that that darkness spreads. But that there is a light that can shine into that darkness. And I was challenged by this. I mean, this is one of those passages when Jesus starts using this kind of language, you say, you know, it's easy to say, well, thank goodness, I am not like them. What's on the next page, right? But if I took this in for a minute, I I was struggling with how, how on earth could you possibly confuse light with dark? I mean, it's either on or it's off, right? But as I wrestled with that, I realized that there are absolutely times in my own life where I have had to figure out what is it that's going wrong inside of me, And what is like the thing behind the thing? And usually the thing behind the thing, for me, has been that I chose some darkness, but I called it light. And a few years ago, as I was uh, sitting with a Christian counselor that I would see, and talking to my mentor who, um, you know, we talk every week on Thursday afternoons. And it's like, let's get that thing behind the thing. And I'm like, right, the thing behind the thing, you know. But as we dug a little bit deeper, I discovered that fear of failure was a darkness that I had called light because it sounds good at first right you say well because I wouldn't call it fear of failure I would call it uh, driven to succeed right I, I want to achieve I want to do well I want to show well I want people to see that I'm working my hardest I want to be a great husband I want to be a great father I can list all of these things and I say that's what I'm striving for But a little bit further down into a dark corner somewhere, the reality was that for pretty much my entire life, one of my motivating factors has been because I'm afraid to fail at that thing, because I'm afraid to let people down, because I'm afraid I won't be a good husband, because I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. In fact, there was a day that I wrote out on a notebook, like, "What, what is it that's getting me right now? And I just started, well, I'm, you know, I'm afraid this will happen, I'm afraid that. And when I looked it back, it was like 20 straight lines of, I'm afraid that. That is not light. The ways that I thought it would drive me toward being a better person actually just created this divide in me where there's what I hope to be, what I wish I was, what I want to be. And then if anything goes against that, If the anger slips in, if the lust takes over, if the comparison to other people becomes stronger, it doesn't match with what I wish I was. And if I own this, I'm so afraid of failing that if I own this thing as happening in me, then I've failed. And so this crazy thing happens, at least inside me, maybe inside you, where we, we try to separate the two, that... Out here is my light. And I don't want to talk about what's in here. You know, we think, yes, shine the light on my volunteering, how how often I show up and serve other people, Uh, but don't shine light on, on my anger when I'm at home. Yes, absolutely, shine light on that one time at the grocery store that all three of my boys were going crazy and I handled it with patience and somebody walks by and says, you're such a great dad. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> please don't come to my house at bedtime tonight right yes shine the light on the way that I share God's truth oh but don't shine the light on what happens when it's just me by myself and I doubt him and I give in to things that I wish I didn't give into. that's the way that we start to behave that's the way that we start to act in fact that's the generation that Jesus believed that he was talking to and I don't think it was a struggle that just they had because what happens is if we let reputation, if we let the way people see us, if we let our religiosity right, become the light, that, that ultimately it's a set of rule following, and if I just do these things, then I'll know I'm okay. If that becomes our light, that actually becomes an idol, and it is letting darkness in. So be careful that the light which is in you is not darkness. Because what Jesus actually shows us here then is that if you receive that light, then you can give the light that is given to you. Then you can give the light that is given to you. And so I've actually rearranged on this next slide a a couple of the verses. It's the ones that you see in yellow there. Go ahead and pull up the next slide. Because if you put these things together, here's what Jesus is saying, that the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light, because then it is on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. Right? The light that's shown into Nineveh now shone, shines through Nineveh. The light that shines into you can shine through you. But here's the thing. You are not the light. It's not you that's on a lampstand. It's not that I stand up and say, look at how light-filled I am. No, it's that I am willing to say, look, I, I have had those Nineveh moments where I've had to recognize my darkness and say, I need a forgiver. And then the light is Christ. The light is the gospel. The light is the forgiveness. You see, what happened with the people that Jesus was talking to was that they had taken outward demonstrations of goodness as their light. That this was the thing that I need to show. And it had actually become darkness for them. And so something really interesting happens here because I think there's at least one guy in the crowd who's kind of letting that in. He's starting to hear hmm, let the light not be darkness. I mean, he's really convicting people. And so there's one person who actually invites him back to his house. And I wonder if it's almost as if to say, well, I don't want Jesus to think that I'm one of those bad people. So I'll invite him over. Then he'll know I'm one of the good people. (laughs) This is what it says in verse 37. As he spoke, a certain Pharisee, and bless Luke for not giving us his name. As he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled. He marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Can I wait a minute. <laughs> All right, we're in chapter 11. If you remember in chapter 9, Jesus comes down from the mountain and finds a father desperately caring for his son from whom the disciples could not cast out an evil spirit. And he begs Jesus to do this thing. Jesus casts out the spirit, rescues the boy, and the people marveled at the power of God. They marveled. Same word, and this man marvels that he didn't wash before dinner. At our house, we marvel if the kids remember to actually wash before dinner. But what's happening here is this was a man who had bought all the way in to outward appearance. That what matters is how I show on the outside. Am I clean on the outside? Do I look like I'm doing the right things on the outside? And the danger of that is really two things. One, it gives us this false sense of how we can know how we're doing with God. Like if I just follow all the rules right, and this rule wasn't even one of God's. This was one that they added. But if I just do these good things, then I can check the boxes and I'll know how I'm doing with God. And maybe even a little darker is I can know how I'm doing compared to you. Which is why we see things, you know, other times that Pharisees show up and they say, dear Lord... Thank you that I'm not like these other people who do these other things. You know, that's where that reality slips in that that even as we read a passage like this, it, it is so easy to say, how could those Pharisees miss it? And so we just gotta remember a line that I've heard Chad use. I don't I don't know where he got it, but I love this. It is a short trip to my inner Pharisee. It is a short trip. So, to let Jesus speak to us here, because you can almost hear like the monocle falling into the glass of champagne. Well, I never. He didn't even wash his hands before dinner. And Jesus is like, You are so not hearing what I'm talking about. This is how he responds The Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees, make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather, give alms of such things as you have, literally, of what is in you. Give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. See, so he's telling them, you think that what matters is the rule following, the outside, the appearance, but your heart is still a mess because the light hasn't come in. In fact, it's, it's more dangerous because if you think that a heart that doesn't know God who at least acts like they follow the rules, is going to get closer to him, you're actually getting further away because you think that you get there by your own power. And this Jesus, God himself in the flesh, who every page is closer to the cross, on which he said, with love, because you cannot reach the standard... Because Nineveh could not reach the standard, because there is darkness in all of us, I am going to die for you. I will reach the standard. I will pay your penalty so that in me you have forever forgiveness. And if you come to me and say, I'll get there by washing my hands a whole bunch, I'll get there because I go to Horizon and I never miss a Sunday. So, Lord, believe me, I'm acceptable. He cares about us too much to leave us there. So he goes on in verse 42 to continue with warnings. He says, Woe to you Pharisees. Woe, warning, watch out. For you tithe, mint, and rue, and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done. That's good things. Tithing, giving, that's good. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are all like graves which are not seen and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Right about now, a certain Pharisee is thinking, I never should have invited him over for dinner. (laughs) Or he's thinking, this might be what I've needed to hear all along, right? Because here's the picture that Jesus gives them. When he says that they're tithing mint and rue, the idea is that they are so careful to follow every rule that if they have some herbs at home for cooking, they're not going to miss a leaf. Time to tithe? Watch how careful I am about the tenth. Nine for me, one for God. Nine for me, one for God. That way, if anybody asks, I can tell them, don't worry, I follow these rules so carefully, even my mint and rue has been carefully tithed to God. Now, is this a mistake? No. Jesus doesn't say that that's ridiculous. There's something good about that, about being intentional, about about being disciplined to give that back. But it's incredible how quickly it can turn to being about me instead of about him. I know when I really at a point on my own, I guess you'd call it journey of generosity, when I was learning what giving was really all about, you know, I can remember a mentor of mine that I'm sitting down with and, and we're talking about what is the tithe and what does that really mean and how do we give and, and we were sort of talking abstractly, but as he spoke, it's like I, I caught this thing that I had really only been thinking about it as a rule to follow, that like, you know, whatever I was giving, what if I thought of a tenth as like the threshold instead of the ceiling and like made that my baseline and just started giving generously and, and something shifted in my heart. I was like, oh my goodness, that, that actually sounds exciting. That sounds fun. Instead of just doing the math, like or one, 10 or nine for me, one for God, if I got excited about the things I was giving to, if I got excited about where that was going and how that was helping, and so I started really, like everywhere, like looking for how do I make sure that I do this thing. So grandma sent me $5 for my birthday. Well, don't worry, I put two quarters back into the church, got my, got my 10th. It was incredible. This short trip to the inter like it's, it's just crazy for me to look back and think, you know, a couple years into that to realize I'd slipped back to doing the math. That... I'll even make sure on grandma's five bucks because just in case somebody asks, I'll be able to tell them, don't worry, I tithed it. Or, or in case I get to the end of my life and God says, I know about that five dollars grandma gave you. <gasps> so do I, God. Don't worry. Check the box. So is it bad if I tithe 50 cents on five dollars? If I give that amount back? No, but I realize what was happening. What Jesus is saying here is you are so focused on the outward move of that, the buck checking, checking, the rule following I had actually limited my generosity to just checking the box and counting the tenth. And he's telling them, hey, look, that's good, that's great, but you can't do that while leaving justice and love undone. See, that's a heart attitude. That's not just two more rules, also do justice, also do love. He's saying when that is what's in you and that comes from the heart of God, then your giving is for justice because you see people who need what you can give. That it comes with God's love because you're not just doing this to make yourself feel like you're doing okay. You're doing this because you see somebody in need, you love them the way God loved them and you want to give to them. And then you're not even limited by numbers or doing the math. And that's a shift that happens in the heart of a Pharisee, in the heart of a hypocrite who says, I do this thing because that's the mask that I put on. I do this thing because it either to you or to myself helps me feel like I'm doing Okay. Because here's the real danger of this. Jesus says, if they don't understand this, they are graves which are not seen. And I've got a picture for you here of a couple of graves. Because the idea is, touching a grave made them unclean. Coming into contact with death. And so then there'd be a whole ritual that they had to go through. And so they would actually mark graves and sometimes even paint them white. So that you could see where they were and not touch them. The idea Jesus is giving them is that if you look at this picture, you can see in the foreground two marked graves... Jesus is telling them, you walked between them thinking you were dodging the uncleanness. There's actually a third right in the middle. When you live this way, the first danger is that it keeps you from seeing the real light that Jesus wants to give. When I tuck my darkness down because I'm too afraid to own it, I'm too afraid to admit it, I don't want anybody to see it, and so I try to shine something else, that hurts me. But it goes beyond that. Especially because these Pharisees were religious leaders. People would look at them and say, man, look at the way they follow these rules. I can't even live up to that. And Jesus is telling them, if people follow you this way, you are the unseen grave. Right? In contrast to Nineveh, who was like a sign of repentance that would stand up to show God's forgiveness, they are the unseen grave that people who follow them have stepped on it and become unclean without even knowing it. And here's how that works. I mean, think about it. If there is a person like you, like me, who maybe has this corner of darkness, let's just say fear of failure, that I'm not willing to deal with, I don't know it's there, I don't want to deal with it, and then you come to me and say, I've really been struggling with this fear of failure, and it's manifesting in my life in anger and just ways that, that I don't know what to do. what will I say? If you come to me and say, I've really been just... I've been trying to learn in this area of giving and I want to know what generosity looks like and, you know, I don't know. Like, is a tenth too much? Is a tenth enough? Am I thinking about it wrong? Uh, I I don't know, but I always give a tenth of my mint and rue. So count your leaves and you'll be fine. (laughs) Right? They don't know where they're leading. That's a question that we have to ask ourselves because... Again, as we read a passage like this, it's so easy to say, thank goodness I'm not like that. So I'll just tell you, I've seen the danger of this. I've experienced the danger of this. I've been the danger of this. Times where people come to me, they're looking for direction, and I realize, oh, I haven't figured that thing out myself. That's part of what I sat in that counselor's office and had to say, okay, I didn't recognize this in me, but it creates barriers. That's why we need the light to shine in. And that's why, ultimately... I am not your light. Christ is. That's why when we come into this place, we talk about equipping one another. That we are helping one another grow. That we are a growing community of Christ followers because he is the light that shines into every corner of darkness. Even like we sang when we want to give him our heart, we sang that he shines light into darkness. He is the one who brings hope and restoration. And so that's kind of what Jesus gives them as their solution. If you've noticed in verses 41 and 42, the things he offers them are not more rules. They're changes based on the heart. Give of such things as you have in you. Then indeed all things are clean to you. Tithe, sure, with the justice and love of God. So there are some, some tests for a clean heart. That if I'm going to give from the heart, I want to give what God has given to me. That he's given to me justice. That the punishment I deserve was paid for so that he can actually call me justified. That he has given me love. That Jesus himself is here to shine that light. So receive that this morning. Because we kind of have a choice then to say, Am I a little bit of Nineveh or am I a little bit of Pharisee? And maybe I'm a little bit of both. And I'd like this Pharisee kind of to change sides, to be a little more like Nineveh. Because this is what God has been doing since the beginning of time. He is the light bringer. I think that's why he talks about Nineveh. He talks about Pharisees. And in between, he talks about the light. Because all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light. One of the first things that he ever says, one of the first things that he ever does. Later, David, who has seen the darkness in his own life, both coming at him and coming from within him, says, you will light my lamp, for my God will enlighten my darkness. That is hope for you this morning. In the book of Luke, as we flip back, you remember how his uncle Zechariah prophesied about him that Jesus himself is the dayspring that would come from on high. That he would shine light to those who sit in darkness so that by the time we get to Ephesians where the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee, was a hypocrite, can say to you and me, you were once darkness, but now you are light. How? In the Lord. So that we can walk as children children of light. Here's what I believe. If Drew can be forgiven... And God can shine his light through me. If Jonah, who was reluctant with his unforgiveness, if God can still work through Jonah and shine that light. If a city like Nineveh, which is not just a city, but its individuals could give their lives to Jesus so that now he calls them a sign for us of repentance and forgiveness. If Pharisees, like Paul, can say, I give to you what I have also received. If a Pharisee like Nicodemus, who was the one to whom Jesus actually spoke, John three sixteen that God so loved the world, and in the book of Acts we see that there are Pharisees everywhere coming to Christ, I'll bet you in part that is because Nicodemus put a lamp on a lampstand. If God can forgive them, if God can shine through them, he can forgive you, he can shine through you. I know that that can be scary. It was absolutely scary for me to sit in this counselor's office to talk to my mentor to recognize that there were things in me that I had to bring out that I had to shine the light into. I won't pretend that that's like easy and it feels comfortable, but trust me, it is far more painful to leave the darkness in the corners and let it spread. So I don't know what the Lord might be speaking to you this morning. I don't know what, what word that He has for you. I do know that His word does not come back void. And so I would just tell you, if there's something that He's that He's indicating to you in this time, you know, maybe it's a moment that you go and talk to somebody that you trust and say, Hey, I think there might be something in me that I need help shine a light on it. You know, it may be that you've been in that Nineveh place and you're ready to say, Hey, If I can share my story with somebody else, maybe just one other person and say, I was Nineveh, but I'm forgiven. Would you shine that light? The light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that way this morning. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we know that sometimes it is hard for us to hear because it absolutely divides soul and spirit. And Lord, I just pray that as you've been speaking this morning that, uh, Lord, it would not be uh, my will. It would not be my purpose, would not be Horizon's purpose, God, that it would be your purpose that is accomplished in us, that it would be your word that does not come back void, that we would hear what you are speaking to our hearts, that you might shine the light in us, that we might shine your light to those around us. God, we ask these things in the name of your holy son, Jesus Christ, amen. Hey, I want to thank you for being here this morning, but just before you go, I want to make sure you know that there are two family nights coming up. One of them is tonight, one of them is next Sunday from 6 to 8 o'clock. Uh, And what those are is tonight, we actually have um, our speaker who's in the next two services. will be back tonight speaking to parents about how to raise kids in a digital world. And we also have uh, Neil McKinnon, who is the Dean of Pharmacy at UC. will be speaking to our students tonight on a similar topic. Uh, And then you can come back next week. Uh, We're showing a film called Connect uh, by Kirk Cameron about how we survive in that kind of digital world. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, find out more in your program. You can jump online and register, and we'd love to have you back as a part of that because that's part of how we're equipping each other to raise up that next generation. Thank you for being here this morning. We'll see you next week.